We will pray and then we'll get back into our study. Lord Jesus, again, as we open up your word and we consider what you have revealed, we ask, help us, Lord, through the Holy Spirit to rightly understand your word so that we may not believe erring doctrine and, and, and hold to promises that you haven't made, but instead that we would believe rightly and know you truly through your word and that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would grant us daily the, the power to mortify our sinful flesh and that you would also deliver us from Satan and his dominion. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been working our way through the book of Ezekiel, slowly working our way through it. And uh, last week we were in chapter 19, and I'm going to back up just a little bit. And those of you online, just so you know, we've, uh, we've changed up uh, uh, the camera that we're using and if you look at, there's a, there's a camera view that uh, you can also see the room. You can see Kongsvinger, uh, our big uh, fellowship hall. And then you can also see me on the top. It's a split screen. We're using a 360 camera. So, uh, you know, to kind of make it so that you, you have a little bit of an idea of what's going on a little bit better. In, and you can see what's happening. But all that being said, um, coming back to, uh, let's see here. I, we're, we were in 19, so I want to... I might just back up and, and sorry, we're in 20, and continue, like back up and then go forward yeah, so we can maintain the context. In the seventh year of the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of Yahweh and sat before me. The word of Yahweh came to me, son of man, speak to the elders of Israel. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, is it to inquire of me that you come as I live, declares the Lord Yahweh, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Let them know the abominations of their fathers and say to them, thus says the Lord Yahweh. On the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them saying, I am Yahweh your God. On that day, I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, cast away the detestable things from your eyes, uh, that your eye, things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. But they rebelled against me, and they were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. A little bit of a note here. Uh, this is... This is one of those passages where uh, those who try to say, oh, well, the Bible has errors in it. And so they'll say something like, well, Moses didn't, didn't uh, have to cast away his idols. He, didn't even, he wouldn't even participate in it. And what about Joshua? Joshua and, and, and Moses, they, they, you know, they, they, they didn't have to, detect, to do this. So here's an error in God's word, so we can't trust it. Okay, you'll note that God oftentimes will speak in hyperbole. And he'll speak in such a way that he's talking about the, the collective group themselves. And although there might be an exception here, Moses clearly was an exception. Um, you know, he was their leader and Joshua was his secretary. So it's not like God has erred in this regard. So keep this in mind. There's always people out there that are trying to tear down uh, our ability to trust in the scriptures. I, what I recommend, there's a wonderful book called The Encyclopedia of Bible Difficulties by Gleason Archer. Um, it's an older book, and uh, you may not be able to find it in print uh, readily, but if you can get a copy of it, it's wonderful. And, um, and then there's, uh, there's also uh, a book called Alleged Discrepancies of the Bible, which is a classic. It is in the public domain, and it's easy to find. 
And uh, in the past, there have been people who've kind of dedicated part of their scholarship to dealing with those scoffers out there who try to attack the, uh, the veracity of Scripture. And so those are classic works uh, on the subject and uh, well worth having in your library, in your Christian library, in case you ever run into some yehu who thinks that he, he, he can overturn Scripture by his cleverness, okay? So keep that in mind. Um, so that I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them and I would spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived and whose side I made myself known to them and bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about this part. Uh, you'll note that one of the things I think we have to do sometimes is we need to see what God is saying here, specifically to the children of Israel in exile, and consider God's great judgment against them and why he judged them and why he did the things that he did. So note, God said, I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived. So here we are as Christians. We, uh, you'll know that uh, we do not live uh, in a Christian nation. You sit there and go, you're saying the United States is not a Christian nation? No, there are no Christian nations on planet Earth. Uh, in fact, that, that animal doesn't exist. Um, and I would note that during the medieval age, you know, that would be the closest thing you can kind of point to. But there wasn't a particular government that was Christian government because when you know the history of Europe, it, 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 you got a bunch of you got a bunch of heathens and pagans and and sinners doing all kinds of crazy nonsensical things that crazy that pagans do, right? So on this planet, the kingdom of God does not exist on this planet in a tangible way. It is an article of faith. And so you know, today you, you may have gotten glimpses of the kingdom of God during the divine service, but we can't point to it specifically because, again, at the end of the day, you know, there may be tares among the wheat. So we, have to, we have to always have to believe that we believe in the church by faith. And so uh, that being the case, there is no government on planet Earth that is a Christian government. And Christian nationalists are dead wrong in their desire to somehow turn the United States and turn it into a Christian nation. I assure you that they will turn it into you know, a tyrannical state that will be you know, well guilty of the same crimes and worse crimes as the Nazis. But that's a whole other story. All of that being said here, you're going to note then that in the world that we live in, they do pay attention to what happens among Christians and not in a good way. So, for instance, uh, y'all remember during the COVID era, is, is that the way to talk about it now? I mean, are we far enough away that we call it the COVID era? Uh, you know, when uh, Kenneth Copeland got up and rebuked COVID-19, uh, COVID-19, I blow the wind of God, and all this kind of stuff, right? W what was the result how did the world react to that? Like he was a moron. Like he was a moron, right? Like he was a, well, and the reason why they acted like he was a moron, because he's a moron, okay? The, the, the world was not wrong. And so there were memes made of his COVID-19 rebuking performance. And the world looks at this and they scoff at God. Then it was during the COVID era also when all of the prophets, the so-called prophets of God, who did they prophesy was going to win the 2020 election? Trump. Donald Trump. Did Donald Trump win the election? No. Okay. 
I would note he is still not the one occupying the Oval Office. Uh, and, uh, and there's another election coming up, and I can't wait to hear all the new prophecies about this. But you're going to note within the charismatic church, they've got a big problem. And I'm going to say something that is going to sound really harsh, and I stand by what I'm about to say. And here's what I'm about to say. They care nothing about God's holy name. Nothing. If they cared about God's holy name, they would rein in all of these false prophets and do something short of stoning them, do whatever it takes to shut them up. Because God's holy name is profaned by every one of their false prophecies. It's, it's just, and they think if they really legitimately cared about God's holy name, they wouldn't dare to utter words that they were speaking obviously from their heart. The reason why we pray prophecy bingo is to legitimately set up a, a, a scenario whereby people recognize these are completely empty words. If they care nothing about God's holy name and continue to profane it so awfully, we're going to mock them the way Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal because they legitimately don't censor themselves at all. And God's name is mocked among non-Christians as a result of the wingnut, wackerdoodle, false words that these people are saying. Do you think that there's anybody among in the pagan world having heard Chuck Pierce give a prophecy, said, oh, these are words from God. He's a true prophet and fall down and worship Yahweh as a result of it. No, everybody who watches him goes, what did he even say? Right, right. That was in our last prophecy, bingo. So you'll note that God legitimately is jealous for his name. And he legitimately has revealed that he cares that the pagan worlds, has, that, that his, his, his name is profaned in the sight of the nations because of the wickedness that these people were doing. And note that this comes right on the heels of Jeremiah's times. Jeremiah is still alive at this point, but winding up his ministry. And when we worked our way through the book of Jeremiah, there, in Jeremiah's day, there were the equivalent of YouTube prophets in his day who were offering up all of these rainbow, butterfly, gummy bears, and blue sky prophecies to everybody, regardless of whether or not they were a penitent sinner who believed in Yahweh or not. And they were just telling people what they wanted to hear. And on top of it, they had taken rank idolatry and woven that into some kind of a syncretistic religion, and, uh, and, and they were prophesying from within, inside of something like that. And as a result of it, God's name was being profaned, and God here is saying that. And so you'll note that the reason why God has saved us I know this is going to sound a little odd, but it's true. The reason why God has saved us is because of his holy name. He keeps his promises. He didn't save us because we're so special. That's, in fact, there are biblical texts that say that. Okay, I didn't say, save you because you were the greatest among the nations or things like this. I saved you for the sake of my holy name. And so, Note then, God says, I acted, talking about the Exodus, I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, and whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. 
So I led them out of the land of Egypt and I brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and I made known to them my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. And I shall note here, if a person does them, he shall continue to live by them. That's even how the Hebrew works and how the Greek works and this is translated into Greek. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies them. So the Sabbath itself was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant and God explains why so that it was a sign that they may know that I am Yahweh who does what? Who sanctifies them. What did the children of Israel do on the Sabbath, or what were they supposed to do? Meet together in their synagogues to hear the word of God. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbath, they greatly profaned. Is anything different today? (laughs) It's like... God's name is greatly profaned by all of this crazy stuff going on in the name of Christ today. <laughs> yeah. So then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. If you read this account, okay, <laughs> When you read the account, God has left out the Moses bits, okay? The Moses bits were like, Moses like, no, Lord, <laughs> you know, don't, <laughs> don't destroy everybody because then the nations would say that uh, you only brought them out of slavery to kill them in the wilderness. And so you'll note God left, leaves the Moses bits out and then he says, but I acted for the sake of my name. Indeed he did. We know this from the narrative, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all the lands, because they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols." So this gives, us a little, uh, this, this gives us a little bit of commentary on the Exodus that's not available in the Exodus account. And this is a commentary from God's perspective, from God's point of view. And so you can add this then to, you know, as you're reading through the Exodus, God's saying, listen, here's why I did what I did. Okay, I did it for this specific reason, for the sake of my holy name, and the people uh, they did not. Re- they did not obey my commandments. They did not walk in my rules. They continue to go after their idols. Do you wonder why? Why it was such a short amount of time after the children of Israel got into the promised land when they forsook God and then went after idols? Why was it such a brief amount of time? They were barely there. Okay, the generation that that were fathers at the time that they went in, as soon as that generation died, the generation coming up under them, they, they, they went whole hog after Baal and all, the other, uh, all these other false gods. Why, would, why what did that happen so quickly? Because they brought that idolatry into the promised land with them. They brought it with them. And so these people... There were enough of them that were giving lip service to Yahweh who were still secretly worshiping the gods of Egypt. 
kind of a problem, right? Nevertheless, God says, my eye spared them. I did not destroy them nor, or, or make a full end of them in the wilderness. And I said to their children in the wilderness, do not walk. Again, walk here, okay? Um, halach in Hebrew is not talking about taking a stroll down the street. This is how you conduct your life. And you note that this word shows up in the Greek form in the New Testament when Paul says walk you know, walk in the spirit, do these things, walk, this is how you conduct your life. Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am Yahweh, your God. Walk in my statutes. Be care- careful to obey my rules. Keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may be a sign between me and you, and that you may know that I am Yahweh, your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. They profaned my Sabbaths. So then I said, I will pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. God didn't destroy them so his name wouldn't be profaned. So... (laughs) Yeah, like, could you imagine how history would have been written had God actually you know, brought these people to the miserable end that they deserved in the wilderness? Oh, yeah, remember that? Account? Oh, yeah, that Yahweh, he's a terrible deity, right? <laughs> he destroyed all of them, right? <laughs> right, right, yeah. But I withheld my hand, I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries because they had not obeyed my rules, but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were set on their father's idols. Moreover, I gave them statutes that were not good and, rule, and rules by which they could not have life. I gave, I, and I defiled them through their very gifts in their offering up of all their firstborn that I might devastate them. I did it that they might know that I am Yahweh. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel. Say to them, thus says the Lord Yahweh. So you're going to note here, they've come to inquire of God. God's saying, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to let you inquire of me. And here he's going all the way back and basically saying, you people are just like your fathers and your father's fathers and your father's father's fathers going all the way back and nothing has changed, all right? And the reason why you're in Babylon right now is because of your stiff-necked refusal to put away your false idols and your false gods and walk according to my statutes. That's the reason why you're here. So we're not going to inquire. I'm not going to let you inquire of me until we get this through your head. The reason why you're in the miserable, awful situation that you're in is because of your impenitent, rank sin, and you're just like all of your fathers before you. Okay? So before God's going to allow himself to be inquired of, he's going to call, this is a call to repentance. Let me tell you what's really going on here. Right? Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel, say to them, thus says the Lord Yahweh, in this also your fathers blasphemed me by dealing treacherously with me. For when I had brought them into the land that I swore to give them, 
Then whenever they saw any high hill or any leafy tree, there they offered their sacrifices, and there they presented the provocation of their offering. There they set up their pleasing aromas, and there they poured out their drink offerings. I said to them, what is the high place to which you go? Is it, is it, so its name is called Bama to this day. Uh, Bama means high place, right? Now, I don't think that's what Alabama means, but that's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord Yahweh, will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and go whoring after their detestable things? When you present your gifts and offer up your children in fire and defile yourselves with all of your idols to this day, and shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, declares the Lord Yahweh, I will not be inquired of by you. What is in your mind shall never happen. The thought, let us be like the nations, like the tribes of the countries, and worship wood and stone. Yes, Marilyn. Okay, yeah. Okay, let's take a look at the, at the, uh, the um, note here in the Lutheran Study Bible. I think it'll help. The Lutheran Study Bible says the laws God gave that man shall live can also become a fragrance from death, from death to death. When executing judgment on willful hardened sinners, he sends them a strong delusion so that they fall into perverting wholesome ordinances and making them an excuse for committing the most detestable of crimes. Not even to his law has God assigned the honor that it should merit eternal life, he clearly says here. So the idea here, let, let me go back and read the passage, okay? So I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries because they had not obeyed my rules but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths. And their eyes were set on their father's idols. Moreover, I gave them statutes that were not good and rules by which they could not have life. Now, what God is basically saying here is that the, the, the law can't save you. That's really what he's getting at. He gave them laws, but that wasn't for the purpose that they would save a person, but they, instead that they would live by them. That's a different thing altogether. And so what he's basically saying, the rules by which they could not have life, he's not talking about life like day-to-day -day life. He's talking about eternal life. And so I defiled them through their very gifts. And here's the interesting thing about God's law. God's law always accuses. God's law is right, it's holy, it's just, we are not. So God gave us a law, and the law says, thou shalt not, and then fill in the blank. You know, you shall not covet, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not do these things, right? And here's the thing, God's holy law comes to us, and um, do we have eternal life by keeping them? Do we keep them? No. In fact, consider how, how the, uh, the apostles spoke at the first church council, which is the, uh, the, it's called the Council of Jerusalem. It's in Acts 15. Listen to how this plays out, because I think this will help you get a little bit of an understanding of that text. 
Some men came down from Judea and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So here we got the Judaizers, right? Really, you, you can't, a guy can't be saved unless he's circumcised. Wow. And so after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, and boy, uh, <laughs> this is like such a stronger word in the Greek. Uh, they, 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 these guys were like right in their face. They, this was in your face, practically shouting match kind of dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about the question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? You, see, you kind of see it, okay? So <laughs> Peter talking about God's commandments. It's a yoke. It's a burden. They couldn't bear it. His fathers couldn't bear it. And so although God's words are holy, his commandments and statutes are true, and walking by them is true life, we can't. And so God's law doesn't give us eternal life, right? Have, have any of you ever tried to change like a bad habit that you have? I, I just kind of, let's kind of work this out here. You've decided you're going to fix something in your life, okay? You, maybe you're not getting up early enough, you know, you're starting your day off wrong or whatever, you, whatever, your, whatever your particular thing that you need to fix. Have you all ever noticed that when you apply yourself to changing your behavior, you legitimately are exhausted, okay? It, you don't feel at rest until you have a cheat day, okay? Yeah, if you've ever been on a diet, you know what I'm talking about. I've been on a few myself, okay? And as you can see, none of them have worked, okay? But uh, when I go on a diet, w what happens, okay, is that, you know, there I am. I, I'm, I'm on the treadmill. I'm lifting weights. I'm working out. I'm feeling great. I'm eating right. But, oh, my goodness, hey, you go a week, two, three into this thing, and you're sitting there saying, I want pizza, Okay? And, and I really want a big slice of cake, you know. And, 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 and here's the deal. So you give yourself a cheat day, and on your cheat day, you could just go, <sighs> okay. Think about this, okay? It's work and effort to mortify your sinful flesh. Y'all... And I don't have the strength to do it in ourselves. 
This is why we need the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It produces the fruit of the Spirit in us, and he gives us the strength. Because on our own strength, left to our own devices, I'm going back to pizza. I, I, I'm, I'm going to eat an entire cartridge, an entire bag, you know, a whole thing of Oreo cookies and a whole pint of ice cream, and I'm going to feel great about it, right? Well, only for a few minutes because then my stomach gets really upset. Okay. <laughs> All right. And now I've been granted the blessing of lactose intolerance. Oh, you know. Okay. But, but you get what I'm saying here. So you'll note that there, from the point of view of keeping the commandments, it's not easy. It's legitimately not easy. And because we have a sinful nature, we can't do it. And so from our perspective, we, we oftentimes get annoyed by God. It, it, listen, one of the things that you can notice, and I'm going to, I hope I don't step on too many toes in saying this. The area that we live in right here, there are a lot of liberal churches up here, okay? More so than in other places that I've lived. And that being the case, I would note here, that makes perfect sense. If we were to you know, like get in, 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 in the TARDIS and come back here, okay, 150 years ago, would any of the churches that, are, that, are, that were founded 130, 150, 100 years ago, would any of them be liberal by today's standards? No, no they wouldn't. What would they be? Legalistic. Okay, they would be legalistic. And, and I've, I have noticed that where you have one generation that is steeped in legalism, their children and their grandchildren are going to run the opposite direction. They'll stay in the church, but they're going to they're run that church in the opposite direction and basically say, all these rules and regulations, they got to go, and it just becomes a free-for-all. Okay, liberalism is the counter-reaction to legalism. It legitimately is. And here's the thing. Part of the reason why liberalism ha has such a convincing argument is because so many people are legitimately abused and mistreated by legalism. And the, what, where you have the proper distinction of law and gospel, you don't have the seedbed that for liberalism. It's hard for it to grow when you have the proper distinction. And so we recognize God's law convicts us of our sin. That's his primary purpose. And we strive through the power of the Holy Spirit to keep his commandments. And at the same time, daily come, you know, daily come to the Lord and say, forgive us our trespasses. Whereas legalism, the, the insipid, nasty bit about it is, this, is the delusion that you're somehow pulling it off. You know, I, you know I'm, I'm more worthy than you are because, man, I, I haven't sinned in the last you know, 48 days. You know, when was the last time you sinned? I bet it was yesterday, huh? You know, you, you know yeah. yeah. Look at the communion participation level of 50, 100 years ago in this church and many others. You only went to communion if you were worthy enough. Ooh. And you can see it in the records. Yeah. And, that, and that's if you felt worthy enough? If you, yeah, or considered yourself worthy enough. It was a, it was a legalistic yeah. I think in our records, what, 10 people participated in communion over the course of a year, and there were... 10 people? There were 200 people at Kongsvinger and only 10 commune a year? Something like that. Because they considered themselves worthy? Holy smokes. That's horrifying. Or other people felt themselves 
whichever way you look at it. Right. And Right. You're, you're looking at communion wrong when you do that because the words given and shed for the forgiveness of sins, that's a promise, and we receive an absolution. You know, like a tangible, tasty absolution, although it t- tastes weird. But, um, but, but the idea then is, is that the one who is worthy is not one who is sinless. The one who is worthy is the one who recognizes properly what they're receiving in the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Yes? Well, and the crazy thing about that is <laughs> you know, you bring up a good point. <laughs> you know, isn't it prideful for those 10 people who, to have declared themselves worthy to receive the Lord's Supper while the other 190 didn't? Oh, no, they were voted righteous in committee. <laughs> they were, uh, right, yeah, I know you're right. You know, the thing is, is that, you know, uh, are you a sinner and, you, and recognize your sin and believe what Christ said, that this is his body and blood given and shed for the forgiveness of your sins? You're receiving the Lord's Supper worthily then because you're, you're recognizing the body and blood of Christ. Um, so there is a sense in which the scripture talks about taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, but it's not because I've got my act together. It's because Christ is offering me forgiveness there and I believe his words, Right? Totally different altogether. So I, I would note here that uh, we at Kongsvinger, we have a bunch of worthy people, <laughs> you know, in the biblical sense, but not because you guys are self-righteous. Yeah, Hannah. Do you think that the greater evangelical churches that don't teach that the Lord's Supper is a sacrament, do you think they're prone, like, do you think that's why they don't teach, uh, or why, sorry, why they're prone to Yeah, so that's a good question because they see it. They see what we they would see what we're doing as like legalism or ritualism. That's how they would interpret it. And um, but they don't believe that they're receiving anything in the Lord's Supper. So yeah, it's it's it is interesting. Uh, so ironically, those churches that do not believe Christ's words, "This is my body, this is my blood," they fit the definition of what what Paul says of those who take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Um, and so what's, it, what's always fascinating is when you point that out to them biblically, you know, the, the gyrations that they go through to try to make it so that that's not the case. Uh, and they would look at us and say, it's like, why are you guys doing this every week? You know, that doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, and so, they're, yeah, their view really, the lens that they've put over the scriptures that keep them from seeing what the text says it causes them to wrongly accuse us of a form of legalism when in fact they are really the ones who are engaging in it. It's, it that's the way deception works, by the way, which is terrifying if you consider it, um, is that it blinds you in such a way that you become guilty of the thing that you're condemning other people of doing. And that, that, is, that is a scary thing, legitimately scary. Uh, sin blinds you in that way and so this is why we we stick to the text and we stick to the text and we stick to the text and we have to keep digging in the text and 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 you know kind of work that out i will say this though is that i have noticed over the last decade a very interesting phenomenon within evangelicalism and the phenomenon is this um so when i was growing up evangelical churches would spend a noticeable amount of time whenever Lord's Supper would come up 
explaining how it's not what the Bible says it is. <laughs> it was like, there was like these, it was a weird thing. It was like the pre-sermon before the Lord's Supper, when they would have it maybe three, three or four times a year. There was a, like an, a, an obligatory five-minute sermon about how I know the text says this is my body, but it doesn't mean that. And I know it says this is my blood, but it doesn't mean that. And I know it says it's for the forgiveness of sins, but it doesn't mean that. It's all symbol, 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 symbol. But what I've noticed is over the past decade, that mandatory pre-sermon before the Lord's Supper when churches have it has disappeared. And as a result of it, a natural result of it, is that when I ask average evangelicals now, and I have conversations with them regularly, um, what do they believe that the Lord, what they, they receive in the Lord's Supper? They say, oh, it's the body and blood of Christ. And I say, where do you go to church? And they would say, you know, you know big box mega church over here. And it's like, how did you figure out that it's the body and blood of Christ? They said, well, it's the, the Bible says that. And it's like, huh. So what's happened is with the, the disappearance of the, of the, like the scoffers pre-sermon, people just are naturally believing that they're receiving the body and blood of Christ in, in growing numbers. And it's, it's kind of fascinating because it's really kind of like um, the, the Southern Baptist, uh, Reformed Baptist churches that kind of keep that pre-sermon going. And when they hear evangelicals saying, yeah, we're receiving the body and blood of Christ, and, and this is stuff that's showing up on YouTube in like charismatic churches. They're losing their minds, and I'm sitting there going, I know why that's happening, <laughs> you know. But that, that's a whole other story. It's the same thing with Virgo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, where were we? <laughs> I have a quick question about this text. Yeah, yeah. Um, Peter did um, advocate for circumcision at one point, right? And Paul publicly. Um, Okay, so you're referring to uh, not that he was advocating for circumcision, but he was acting in a way contrary to the gospel when the circumcised guys show up. The text you're referring to is in Galatians. Uh, It starts in Galatians 1. Um, So Paul, in this section of Galatians 1, he points out that the gospel that he received, he preached, he didn't receive it from man, he received it from Christ. And then, um, and then he talks about how he had, after he was converted, after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And then in chapter two, you get this wonderful thing where the first pope gets rebuked publicly by, uh, by Paul <laughs> uh, when Cephas came. So he, when Cephas came from Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. What does that mean? He was having sausage and bacon, and he was, you know, he was enjoying a little bit of lobster and shrimp, and uh, he was eating whatever was put before him. He was actually eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, the people from James came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Again, that's not a party you want to go to. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So it wasn't that he was endorsing them, but by his drawing back, 
He was acting hypocritically. When they weren't there, he acted one way. When they were there, he was acting a whole other way. In, in the timeline between those two events, uh -huh. here Galatians and in Acts, yeah. when, which took place? Ooh, uh, so this would have taken place before. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so he had been rebuked, and that's when he gave the answer then in Acts. Yeah, yeah. More, more clearly. Yep. So then I love this part. When, then when I, Peter, uh, to Paul, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, and there it is, their actions were contrary to the gospel. Keep that in mind. There are these things that are actions that you can take that are contrary to the gospel, right? I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? Rebuked. And then he goes on. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know if a person, that person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in, in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. So you'll, you'll, you, see the, you see the full extent of the rebuke there. But that, so it wasn't because he was endorsing circumcision. It was because he was acting in a way contrary to the gospel because he didn't want to have the, 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 God, the fellows from James from the circumcision party get all up in his face, up in his grill. Yeah. Is this James different James I don't know. <laughs> that that's that is a that is a debated topic, and it's it. You have two Jameses to pick from, or this is a third James altogether. Thank you for the question, James. Yeah, thanks, James, <laughs> for the question. So the the answer is is that that's a debated question, and I don't have a definitive answer to it. Now, what was I going to say here? Hang, on, I got to think about this. Um, Oh, I can't remember. Oh, that annoys me. I had it right there, and then it's, it's, it's gone. Alas, okay. So all of this being said then. Oh, now I remember what I was going to say. Have you guys seen the controversy regarding the Super Bowl commercial called He Gets Us? Okay. Have you watched the commercial? I was telling you about this last year. Does it leave you with an icky feeling? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Have you been to their website? Yes. They, they clearly say that they are not, these advertisements are not meant to bring you to church. They are not there to spread the gospel. Right. What's the underlying error of this group that's putting these commercials out? What's their underlying error? Yes. There it is. It's works righteousness. If you think about it, what they say, these commercials, I saw that commercial and went, what? Okay, <laughs> you know, it's like, what is this? Okay, so you have a pro-life advocate washing the feet of, 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 of abortionists, and so it's like, what's going on here? Okay, because you're going to note here that, that what's not being called for is true repentance of sin and faith in Christ, but instead a push for Christians to live a specific way that, is, that is, has a form of legalism to it. I always remind you, need to remind you guys, liberalism is as legalistic as uh, Lutheran pietism. It's just a different set of rules. It's a completely different set of rules. So uh, if you don't believe me, 
um, just break some of the rules that liberals are really all about right now. I mean, have you noticed all the coffee shops that talk about how they have coffee sources that are from sustainable uh, this and sustainable that, right? Uh, when, we, when I travel to Europe, okay, the, the, one of the big coffee houses in the UK is called Costa. And they always make a big deal. You know, this was sourced for, you know, from, from small villagers and stuff and done in a sustainable way and all this kind of stuff. There's a reason for that because in the liberal woke mindset, colonialism is like the big sin that the West committed against the third world nations. And so they're undoing colonialism. So if you really want to send a liberal into conniption fits, then go out and buy CNH pure cane sugar. Now you're not allowed to do that up here for different reasons. <laughs> that's a different kind of sin. There's a different legalism there. <laughs> okay, yeah, because I understand the American Crystal thing. But uh, when when uh, we were attending uh, Faith Lutheran in, in Green in Greenfield, uh, Indiana, all right. Uh, I had taken a photo of our coffee table and I was kind of, you know, making fun of the fact that we have a coffee shop at our church. It's just a table with, you know, two big coffee pots and, and the different supplies that we had for filling our coffee, you know, powdered creamer. And there on there was C&H Pure Cane Sugar. Holy smokes. I posted that on Twitter and my account melted down. How dare you! Have your church purchase that oppressive, colonialistic, you know, you know, patriarchal, blah, 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 you know, sugar. It's like, what? What? <laughs> you know, they they like legitimately lost it because of uh, we were breaking one of the rules, and that was I, we had a product in our church that apparently was part of oppressive colonialism. Okay. Totally different set of rules. So the, the, the he gets us ads, ask yourself the question, what is their rules? Because in their rules, we don't need to tell people about Jesus. We just need to wash their feet. Okay, We don't need to call them to repentance and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. We just need to wash their feet. And we need to have more people that washed other people's feet like Jesus did. Okay. But I would note this. Who did Jesus wash the feet of? His disciples. His disciples. Okay. Did Jesus wash the feet of the Sanhedrin or the high priest or the people who crucified him? No. <laughs> right? And when, when, and when Peter was getting his feet washed by Jesus, Jesus brings the, the scrub bucket up and Peter's all, you'll never wash my feet, Right? And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part in this in me at all. Then don't wash just my feet, wash all of me, <laughs> right? So the, you'll note they completely ignore all the details of this. So I would note whatever this group is, they're somewhere in the left spectrum and they're you know, in, the, in the woke thing, but they're, they're, it's a legalistic thing that they're applying here. And, and, and Christianity is reduced to actions. And reactions as interpreted through their understanding of how love works. And, and there's no call for repentance. There's no trust and faith in Christ. There's no forgiveness of sins there. It's just all behavior. Yeah. I've also heard that they might actually be connected to Mormonism. I, I'm not, not entirely 100% certain about yeah. that. Yeah. Did, did you hear that Dan McClellan, the guy we critiqued, he's a Mormon? Yeah. <laughs> I heard that. That's crazy. Anyway. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> yeah. 
What's the <laughs> Marilyn, by the way, for those of you online, she said there's going to be a lot of people with really clean feet in hell. Right. Exactly. So anyway, that's, that's enough for legalism today. And that's all the answer to your question, by the way. That, that's why God t talked about his law in that way in that section of Ezekiel. So, All right, Lord willing, we will see you all next time.